The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to Raising Good Humans. I'm Dr. Elisa Pressman. This is the end of my publication week launch. Ugh. There's just been so much. It's been kind of crazy. I've shared on Instagram. So, you know, you see what I've been up to. And I'm really, (laughs) I'm sorry. I've been pushing so hard and sharing so much and very excited about all of the generous support I've been getting from all of you. I'm so overwhelmed and so grateful. And one person who's been incredibly helpful, both in you know, at the beginning from when I was writing the book and she was looking at my drafts to now when I'm selling the book is this incredibly wonderful colleague, Dr. Lisa Demore, who is a clinical psychologist and she is everybody's go-to expert for adolescents. In fact, I love her podcast and I'm actually sharing her episode where we are speaking today on her podcast, but on my podcast, if that makes any sense. And she does this podcast with the wonderful Rena Ninen. I did this episode today with them. Rena Ninen is a reporter and just asks such cool questions and shares her insights about being a mother of teenagers. If, by the way, you have not purchased the five principles of parenting, what are you waiting for? And also, if you haven't, get it on bookshop.org because fun fact, you can actually choose the local bookshop you want to purchase it from, but from the comfort of your own home phone or computer, which I just feel like is a win-win local local bookshop. Yay, bookshops, but also don't have to leave the house, have convenience. Anyway, you can get the book anywhere. I just wanted to do a pitch for local bookshops on bookshop.org. Thank you all for your support. I am overwhelmed. I love you. I wish I could give everybody a huge hug. It means so much to me. And if you do order it on Amazon, write a review because apparently the reviews matter just like they matter for the podcasts. Okay, let me know what you think of this episode. I know it's a reverse episode because I'm being interviewed, but we're having a different conversation than I had with Jen Garner. And then next week I am back to normal (laughs) where I'm interviewing other people, doing solo episodes and sharing with you things that are helpful, not stressful. Aliza, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Well, and we're thrilled to have you on your actual publication day. I've got your baby right here. So Yay. excited to talk with you about it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all of your help and input. Well, it's an honor to support work like yours. I love See, I was talking about how I dread winter, but books sustain me through winter. And this was like the guide of parenting, I sort of felt like. Tell me a little bit. It's a Five Principles of Parenting is the title. Why did you want to do this book? And what do you hope parents get out of it? Well, I wanted to do the book because, well, I didn't even want to do a book because I thought I don't want to add to, I don't want to add to anybody's plate. But I also wanted to turn down the volume a little bit on so much We're just inundated with so much information, particularly when we first have our kids, but we're just inundated and some of it's useful and some of it is neutral and some of it's downright harmful. So I just wanted to be there for parents who were like, I know that it's not 
we we need to know something. It's not like the chaos of just like go with your instincts. That that just doesn't seem fair for parents. But I did think it's too much. And how can we clear away the noise and just get down to what really matters? So what do you think, Aliza, are the basics that parents need to do, to know to get parenting right? <laughs> so one thing, I mean, I know that that's just a way of saying it, but of course there's no way to get it right. But I do think it'd be great if parents could not focus so much on the procedural stuff that makes us so stressed out and really think about the bigger picture. So like how you're feeding, how you're teaching your child how to sleep, what you're, you know, exactly the words you're using when they come home and tell you about something bad that happened at school. Like sometimes we get so fixated that we forget that the bigger picture view is that we need to have a close connected, I mean, I'm saying this to both of you know this very well, but we need to have a close connected relationship. And within that relationship, we need to, in order to have any good relationship, right, you have to reflect on the experiences that you've you've had in the past, how you were raised, how your partner, if you have a co-parent, was raised, what that might mean. And then we have to figure out how to get our own act together in a way, like our own emotional act together. Um, and that's what I think of as regulation so that we can support our kids. And I do think we need the guardrails, the boundaries, the limits, and the idea that we can do that and have repairs when we get it wrong, I think you're covered. So you said it is sort of a throwaway line, but I want to come back to what you said of like, you can't get it right. I I actually think that is such a critical message because I think so often in the world of parenting guidance, maybe it's not said directly, but indirectly, there's sort of like, if you do this ninja move and yes. that ninja move, then magic, parenting's going to be easy and you're going to enjoy your kids all day. And of course, there's no ninja move that makes parenting easy and makes your kids enjoyable right. all day. No, and that's, so, that's so true. It's so true. And so I love that you're like, enough with that, setting that to the side. And you do offer these five principles of parenting, which you just you know, you know, gestured at, but I want to name them. Relationship, reflection, regulation, rules, and repair. And so how did you come to these? What made these rise to the top to you? And how are they useful to families? Okay. Well, first, just to address what you said about not getting it right. I, I think I did throw that away. And the truth is that if we don't believe, because I think if you're listening to this podcast, if you're reading our work, if you're thinking about parenting, you are more likely to be a mom and you are more, not everybody, but more likely to be a mom and you are more likely to be a perfectionist. <laughs> and <laughs> so we, and I, and I don't want to throw away the natural, like very developmentally appropriate desire to get it right. Like, of course, these are the most important human beings in our life and we want to get it right. But I think the way into really believing that we can't get it perfectly right is to know that it would be a disservice to our kids. It would be a disservice to our kids to grow up with the burden of thinking, my parents got this so right. They never screwed up. I have to get it right. And then you sit with that heaviness and just in general, like getting out into the world and finding out that either it was all a sham, right? Because you were in this bubble of thinking that everything that your parents did was perfect and that that was an attainable goal or that 
you really still believe it. And then you just are so hard on yourself for not being good enough. So I actually think it's a service to blow it with your kids (laughs) at least 25% of the time. That is not scientific, that specific number. (laughs) I'm doing a very great service to my children. I just want you to be clear based on those numbers. (laughs) That's what I, the other day, my kids were like, you know, you could be a little less self-compassionate <laughs> when you blow it. <laughs> they feel like I've really been clinging to that. <laughs> okay, that is hilarious. I love that. But you know, that's one of the things, Lisa, I know you taught me was you've got to say when you screw up, which I grew up in a household where the parent is God, like the equivalent of, and there's no screw-ups. And understanding that sometimes even admitting your mistakes can be good for them to see. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, actually, I'm having like a, a flashbacky moment I'm sitting in my practice office where we I do this recording. And years and years ago, I cared for this really fun family with a really spicy adolescent girl. And they were all in here together. And they, you know, were doing all the bumps of growing up. And she was often in trouble and deservedly so. But it was so funny. I remember watching them together. And the parents, the girl made a, a really excellent kind of challenge to something that they were doing. And the the dad goes, Good point, good point. And I was like, that's beautiful. And I actually now do that in my own house. Like when I get called on the carpet, like basically on the hour I get called on the carpet. If my kids right, I'll be like, you know what? Good point. And it's such a nice way to rest for a second and hold that idea that you can be disagreeing with me and I can be in agreement with that. And it doesn't have to get heated. Yeah. And when we do get heated, it mostly is, I I would imagine it's the lack of reflection. Like we don't want to go you know what? The reason why that pisses me off so much is because it's totally right. (laughs) And it's my worst fear, right? Like It's like, you're criticizing the thing about me I don't want to be. And Mm. here I'm doing it. And now you're calling me out on it. So I'm doubling down on my rightness. But actually, it's probably just because it's so like, oh, that is not what I wanted to feel. That is not how I wanted to do this. You know, you have this line, in, in the book that that was really a shocker to me. And you say that the tantrums of childhood mirror the tantrums of adolescence. I read that over and over again. Tell me more about this. Well, I just think we try to figure out like each, de- and I'm a developmental psychologist. Like I look at change over time. I care about exactly what's going on developmentally. But I think when we get so far into it that we think like, okay, oh, I just have to get through these tantruming, dysregulated states of toddlerhood. And then, you know, we're going to be good. And it's really, it's all about dysregulation and coming back to a place of feeling like, okay, there is no emergency going on. I don't need to sound the alarm bells. And that is no different when you you know, didn't get to go to the party that you wanted to go to, or you didn't get the blue cup and you really were counting on getting the blue cup and your, you know, your dad gave you the red cup. Both of those things ignite an emergency reaction. Like we just, we go into that same state of fight, flight, or freeze. And, you know, it's the same. And by the way, it's the same with adults. We have our own tantrums. We just, how they look, I mean, should be a bit different. <laughs> should. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Ideally. You're, you're, you're sort of so easily spinning off ideas that are so big and so important here, right? I mean, I really, well, I mean, just even to go back for a minute to what you said about like, if what a kid says really stings, there's a decent chance they actually landed on a tender spot for you, right? Or well, I like if, how you, said you know, that. 
Yeah, I, don't, I, I think I mixed metaphors, but we'll figure it out. But <laughs> um, Or what you're saying about at any age, toddler, teenager, adult, something can feel like an emergency that isn't an emergency, right? And so just the ways that, you know, you've got these simple words, repair, regulation, that spin out into these giant ideas and give us so much room to work from a, a more of a distance. I think so much of parenting guidance is so up close yes. that you pull the camera back in a way that can only be helpful in helping families feel calmer. Yeah, I want I want that camera back. I, I want us to pull that camera back because when we get stuck, that's when, first of all, we berate ourselves because we're like, I got that micro moment off and now I'm spending time criticizing myself. And when we criticize ourselves for those micro moments, we are again, just sort of making it known that we are expected to be really rigid in making sure that each moment is so exactly, you know, every moment counts and all of that. And I'm not saying that those beautiful moments that you do have don't matter. It's just that we just want them to happen more often than not, but just know that that's about, that's the best we're getting. Yeah. Okay. So then big question, way back, camera way, way back. Your podcast is called Raising Good Humans. Mm. What, ma- what makes good humans? What really matters? Like, give us a couple things. Okay. So of course I say raising good humans, but my, and so what is a good human? I think we each know exactly what that means in our heads, but it's different for each of us. And I bet if we both, you know, if all three of us chose three to five values that we thought, you know what, if my kid ends up with these values, I've got myself a good human. They will not be the same. We may have probably more aligned values than usual. But if if you ask anybody, I never want anyone to think, I know what a good human is. And there's this specific formula. I just know that you know what a good human is and you're raising your good human. So for me, that's more what it's about is having an intention and recognizing that we all come at this from a different place. We all come at this with different values and we all come at this with a different history. And when we think about that, what does it mean for us to raise a good human? And I know, you know, I never say what my my idea of a good human is because I feel like that might like it it taints the water or something. Like mm-hmm. somehow those those ideas will be more right. But I really believe, absent of somebody saying, I hope my child grows up to be selfish and cruel and harmful. And, you know, I think there's a pretty wide range. But what I love about the idea of good is that we all know what this means. We just do. There's like an old Stephen Sondheim quote from Into the Woods. I'm such a theater geek. But And Little Red Riding Hood is learning that nice is different than good. Mm-hmm. And I just, that's where, that is where I come at this. The idea that we're not for me, we're talking about like deep goodness. We're not talking about like a polite kid or a kid who's getting yeah. it right all the time or, you know, but for someone else, it may very well be that one of the core values for them is being really polite and that's okay. Mm-hmm. Rena, as Elisa's talking, I'm trying to think of what are the like three or four words I would say. Were you thinking that too? What I would want my kids to be. Yes. I, I love, I love that. Like, what are the three, what would you say, Lisa? Well, 
This is just thinking about it just now. So kind, actually. Mm -hmm. So not mm -hmm. nice, but kind. Useful for sure. Useful's on my list. And then I started to think about words like aware and honest. But I'm I'd have to I'd really want to think it through some more. But it's mm -hmm. I love what you're saying, Elisa. Like it's actually quite an, a good exercise. I can almost picture it in a family, like actually thinking through like, you know, what are the this sounds such a strange way to say it. What are the target outcomes here in terms yeah. of well, this, <laughs> right. yeah. So what are the target outcomes? It's really just your family mission statement. Yeah. I would say compassionate, kind. Like though I just in a world that feels it's lost all compassion in, in some moments over the past six months. I just, how do I instill more compassion and kindness? Because then I'll take whatever the third is as a wild card that anybody wants to give me. But those two, I feel the world is on short supply of these days. Agreed. And I, and I, I think about this, when you find whatever those core values are, the target outcomes, whatever that is, when you have older kids, you can say to them, what do you think I value as a good human? And what do you think this family mm. values? And it's so interesting because if your kids have something completely different than what you thought, that is great information. You know, like, okay, well, if I value compassion and kindness and a wild card, but compassion and kindness didn't show up as what they think is like top, top. Okay. So what are we doing here? Let's, let's figure that out. And it's not a criticism. It's just like, figure out if, is it really compassion, kindness, and wild card? Or did they tap into something that's so important to you, but you just didn't know it or didn't even want to admit it? But once we can see like, you know what, as it turns out, I do care about whatever it is. And this is how we want to cultivate that in this household. I think it can be really illuminating. And then if your kids, when your kids are younger, it's more like it gives them the North Star that will eventually be internalized. I love that. Okay. I love FrameBridge because you can put together such beautiful walls of pictures and they just released their totally new layouts of their popular line of curated gallery walls. I love these gallery walls. You can use beautiful art from your kids or pictures over time that just mean a lot to you and make you smile. And each wall comes with a life-size hanging guide. So the installation is totally simple, foolproof, and fun. And you can upgrade your entire space in minutes. All the frames look so pretty and it just, it's just the happy place. FrameBridge makes it fun and easy to give personalized gifts. You know, those gifts that have pictures of your kids that are especially fun for grandparents. And FrameBridge is fast. They ship your finished frame directly to your house in actual days. Plus, it's pricing is fair and transparent based on the size of your piece so you know what you're paying up front. Here's how it works. So you can order online at framebridge.com. You can either upload a digital photo for them to print and frame, or you mail in art, and they send you free, secure, prepaid packaging to mail back your art. That means if you have all this gorgeous art that your kids made that just feels like you don't want to throw it out, but you kind of want to make it all look cool on your wall, they make it happen. FrameBridge Custom frames your piece in their studio using the highest quality materials and ships it to your door for free. Visit FrameBridge.com or a retail store to custom frame just about anything. Do you know how much cash back you're leaving on the table settling for the wrong credit card? Imagine earning up to 5% cash back on your groceries for the next 30 years. 
Think of all that cash back on chicken dinos. Nerd Wallet helps everyone make smarter financial decisions today that future you will thank you for. With Nerd Wallet, you don't regret missing out on rewards. Nerd Wallet lets you compare smart cashback credit cards side by side to make the most of your everyday spending. So, what could future you do with more cashback? A getaway without the kids? Sorry, kids. A spa day yourself? Whatever it is, make it happen with a smarter cashback credit card. Don't wait to make smart financial decisions. Compare and find smarter credit cards, saving accounts, and more today on nerdwallet.com. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. As with all cards, credit is subject to lender approval and terms apply. NerdWallet. Finance smarter. You had mentioned deep goodness about instilling sort of that sense of what you want in your child, but you also talk about this concept of the martyr mom. What is it and why do we need to be rid of this concept? Don't you feel like as mothers, there's just this, that how many times, I'm sure I'm not the only one, where you show up and do something. Maybe you baked something. Maybe you showed up to a, an activity that no one else showed up to. Maybe you offered to host something and you're told like, you're the best mom. Like, oh my God, you're a better mom than I am. Or uh, you're so amazing as a mom. And it's always like, because you've done this service that, you know, or you've been at every practice or something that feels like, come on, (laughs) like, (laughs) why is that the measure of good mothering? Like, what is it about that kind of thing versus your, your, relationship with your child and the connection that you have and the way you respond in moments and the laughing, you know, all of the stuff that feels like you're really, it's about you and your kid. The martyr mom feels much more about like how we are viewed, like how the world Mm -hmm. says we're good mothers. And I think that bothers me because I don't know, I've said many times and I'm joking, but I'm kind of not joking where I'm just like, I don't know, I'm a terrible mother. I just did blah, blah, blah. And I think it feels good to hear from people what a sacrifice you've made in the service of your kids. I think mm. I think it feels like okay, and I'm I must be doing something right, but I think it gets out of hand. And now here we are misunderstanding that not taking into account our own selves and our own needs is somehow a service to our kids. What do you think needs to change on that concept? Like we've got these martyr moms who are just sacrificing everything and believe that's the right way forward. How do we change that mindset and that thinking? I think the only way into changing mindset is to believe that it's better for your kids. I don't think we're doing anything for ourselves if we don't believe it's better for our kids. So true. And so I think here's a thought that, that I wonder about. If you're the center of your child's universe, what does that feel like for them? Mm. Like maybe it feels good. But maybe it also feels like, oh my God, without me doing this, this, and this, I don't know that my parent is going to be particularly satisfied, happy, fulfilled. Mm. So Mm. I'm going to go off to college and what will they do? I remember the first time I left my kids for the weekend. No, I just got that wrong. They left me for the weekend. (laughs) Um, They went with their dad and they were so worried I was going to be lonely. And I was like, I think I've done a disservice that I'm constantly around. Like, of course, you need to be around more than, you know, 
more often than not, but that I'm so around that they think that I I don't have any joy when they're not around. Mm. That just doesn't do them any favors. So I think the way in is to have us just think about if I'm making you the sun, moon, and stars, then how do you feel? And what burden might that put on the child? That's the only way I can think of because I don't think we're doing it for ourselves. This is so helpful. And it actually gets at something I struggle with tremendously in my own parenting, which is that um, I do a lot of speaking and my speaking engagements are booked six to eight months in advance. And the schedule for the school concerts comes out about four weeks in advance. And so it has routinely happened in my parenting that I have missed concerts. And there's no part of, there's a part of me that I will never be able to get rid of. I feel terrible about this. Of course. I feel terrible about this and I hate this. And as you're talking about the martyr mom thing, it feels like the exact antithesis of what a great sacrificing everything parent would do. And yet, Elise, I have fought against self-flagellation in front of my daughters. And I've done it for a few reasons. One is I'm trying to raise feminists. And so part of what I feel like is this is my career. And this is an unavoidable reality of my career. And when you have your career, you will run into unavoidable realities. And I don't want you to feel bad about them as a parent. Yeah. That I'm trying to set that up. But then the other thing and this, you're just making me feel better about something that has felt really hard, really hard in my parenting, is that we are very fortunate to be a mile from my in-laws. And we have also my husband's sister and brother and their families live in town. And so when I'm not at the concert, there are still several family members there. And so it does let me recede into the back a little bit in terms of like the universe of adults who care for my kid, which we're just lucky. And I know that. And so I will say like, I'm not going to be there, but dad and sometimes your sister and then grandparents and aunt, you know your aunt's coming over. And then I'll watch it with you on video. It has been an incredible tension to both try to be matter of fact about it, because I do feel that that is probably the most useful thing for my girls, Mm -hmm. but never, I wish, I I don't feel matter of fact about it and I never will. I I feel the same way. I hear you. And also when I'm hearing you talk about it, I'm thinking they're going to know how to do a concert without you there. Now, of course, it's so awesome to have you there, but it's also great to know like, I just did that and I did it and I didn't have the need I love it. Like, I'm sure it's better when you're there, but what an empowering feeling to know, like, I'm not constantly looking for your reaction to how Mm -hmm. I just did. Wow. Mm -hmm. That's powerful. I never thought of it that way ever. I'm so glad, Lisa, you shared that story and Aliza, that you put it into that perspective because I never thought about that. Us being there also has an effect on their development. Meanwhile, believe me, I constantly feel guilty about it. And I'm like, (laughs) but, and I just recently, got stuck in traffic and missed my daughter's last volleyball game because I had a work thing and I, I budgeted exactly how long it would take, but I did not account for Los Angeles traffic. Mm. And, Mm. and she was so like, (laughs) I mean, I felt much worse because she was so cool about it, but I also knew that that was a moment where I had to say like, I can imagine that that was that hurt and that was disappointing. Mm. But I also know that in general, like that I do not recommend. Although it was a mistake, I move on, whatever. But I definitely was like, oh, 
why did I do this to her? But I do think I remember once when my kids were younger and they were swimming and they kept looking at me and wanting me to give feedback. And I was like, I need them to not need so much feedback from me. Mm. I really want them to just enjoy. They're just swimming. Mm. But it was like, and part of it was that it was siblings and they wanted my attention and all of that stuff. But I remember that moment because I was just like, what happens when I exit this Mm. space? Are we going to enjoy ourselves? Like, you know, am I actually going to make them have a, are they going to have a better time if I stop being an audience so much? And I think that's a little bit about what can help with this martyr mom stuff is let's not just be this audience member that is constantly there because yes, it's wonderful to behold these beautiful developing humans, but it's also wonderful to let them know that they can do this without that. This episode is brought to you in part by BetterHelp. Give online therapy a try at betterhelp.com humans and get on your way to being your best self. What are things that you want to keep the same about yourself in 2024? And what things make you feel like you're already crushing it? What are the things that you want to work on a little bit more? Around the new year, we get kind of obsessed with how to change ourselves. But instead of thinking about that, think about expanding what we're getting right. Maybe you've figured something out and you just want to do a little bit more of it. Maybe you finally organized one part of your space and you want to tackle another. Maybe you're finding that you're self-regulating more, but you could use a little a little more tune-up of understanding. Or maybe you just want someone who's there to listen to you and mirror back what you've been trying to figure out for yourself. If you are interested in therapy, BetterHelp makes it super easy because it's flexible. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. You can celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit betterhelp.com slash humans today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash humans. Okay, it's the new year, and you know that um, I'm still, <laughs> every year, I'm talking about how I'm going to use my caraway to cook things that my kids really like. And it's not that I've been successful yet, but I, when I do cook, I have these beautiful pans. They are non-stick but non-toxic. And so now we've got another chance. It's 2024. I'm going to expand. I'm going to tell you about it. You're probably not going to believe me because it's been a couple years now that I've been saying it. But this time, I'm really on my way. I got more caraway products. It's so pretty in my kitchen. I have gray ones with white, and there's just really pretty stuff there. And you know what? When you have pretty cookware that's non-toxic and it's easy to clean, it's just a little bit more motivating. We can ditch the chemicals with caraway. Caraway has non-toxic kitchenware that features a chemical-free ceramic coating so food can be prepared with peace of mind, no hard-to-pronounce chemicals or leaching into your healthy ingredients, and of course, easy storage solutions, and it just looks really chic. I leave them on my stovetop, actually. Visit carawayhome.com humans to take advantage 
with this limited time offer of 10% off your next purchase. This deal is exclusive for our listeners. So visit carawayhome.com slash humans or use the code humans at checkout. Caraway, non-toxic cookware made modern. Okay. We got some questions from listeners. I, I mean, we could just, this could be a 14 hour podcast. <laughs> um, and I do want to run some of these by you because they are just fantastic. We let them know that we had an expert like you coming. So this gets to regulation questions and it's a big, broad question, but like when kids' emotions seem out of whack, what should mm-hmm. we do? <laughs> That's the question. That's the question. Like their emotions are out of whack. All on you, Lisa. Tell us. <laughs> it's funny to do this podcast with Lisa because I'm like, you know. <laughs> um, but okay, so regulation. Well, one thing, so if I pull out one sliver of regulation, I would say co-regulation because I don't think we talk about it as much. And to go back to an earlier question I never answered, the way these ideas rose to the top for me is that they they are so important to the science of child development. It's not like I made up regulation. So co-regulation, I think, is the biggest untapped key to regulation. So when kids' emotions are out of whack, really figuring out how to first make our nervous systems, put our nervous systems in a state that is not an alarm system going off and calling for the ambulance and the fire trucks and, you know, the what else comes, the police. <laughs> and really getting us to a place of, I can figure out how to be there for my child because I'm not dysregulated myself. So I'm going to co-regulate and give them like, in a sense, they can borrow my nervous system because it's not available to them in full. Theirs is completely out of whack. And I love that because I chose everything that I put in the book as things that we can control. I do not like things that parents are supposed to do that are not in their control. This does not feel helpful. And we are in control of regulating ourselves. So that is something that we can do for our kids. And that capacity to lend them our nervous system when theirs is out of whack is over time. It certainly doesn't, they don't, they don't just look at you and feel better. But over time, the message is this is not an emergency. And Lisa talks about this, how they're looking to us to know if we meet them where they are in this emergent, this what felt emergency, that is scarier than if we meet them with compassion and understanding, but without the message, we did need to have all the alarm bells going off. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a bigger key than than anything else. What you do so well, and you know this is what I just admire and always you know, aspiring to do myself, is that you take these like very dense bodies of research. Like co-regulation is a giant and wildly important body of research. And you just bring it down to this. When your kid is having a five alarm fire, your job is to look as calm as you can because that will help them realize they can get themselves through this because you're not terrified. So it can't be that bad. Just to, to just ground it in these, you know, tiny and multiple interactions that we have with our kids a week. You know, it's just so beautiful. When we, I was thinking, because I, I have a crazy alarm system. When you set your alarm up, you can punch in like how long it gives you that warning beep. 
that's like a slow beep to let you know, like in 20 seconds, if you don't punch in the passcode, that alarm is going off and there will be all of the, you know, the, the police will be here and et cetera. And I remember hearing that beep and just like feeling like that is that moment where I can regulate myself and then my kids can borrow some of it mm-hmm. is that moment before an alarm goes off where there's a beep, there's a warning, there's something that happens, you know, and you can feel it. And, you know, I feel like my face getting hotter and my, I feel my mm-hmm. fingers clenching. And I know that that is just the moment <laughs> before I'm going to lose my mind and my alarm's going off. Like I just have observed over over time, we can all do that. Like, what are those things that you know are happening so that you can punch in the passcode so that the alarms don't go off? And I felt like that was a really easy way for me to understand co-regulation and regulation. And if my kids don't remember the passcode, you know, like sometimes they forget the passcode. It's hard. It's numbers. They're young. And I remember it. Like I can always remember it. That is in my capacity. That's I mean, it goes off sometimes the wrong way. On account of us being humans, raising humans. We're humans. Yes, exactly. Oh, this is just so great. I I cannot thank you enough. We we got so many questions from from everyone. I want to end on this one really quickly, if you don't mind. Someone asked about what do you do when you go from having lots of control as a parent to a lot less control? How do you deal with that? What should parents keep in mind? Because of age. Because of age, yeah. as they get older, so kids are growing up, yeah, and get their opinions and their busy schedules. <laughs> I think that is where it's so funny. I've gotten so deep into these five principles that I keep going back to them, even though that is not my intention to to constantly grab hold of them. But they do make it easier. But do I it. think that's- do it. Actually, I think it's easier for you. It's also easier for everyone else. I mean, I think putting things into categories, giving them broad principles, go for it, Aliza. Do not hold back. <laughs> I really have made this book work for me here. But I think that reflection is very helpful when you imagine like what is going on with this natural evolving development of freedom and what does it mean for me and how much of it did I get and how much of it did I yearn for and how much of it meant I don't love my parents and how much of it meant I love my parents so much, but I'm just evolving and that that's part of our you know process of raising kids. And then still, no matter what, they still need, this principle doesn't get so much attention, but rules. Like it's just figuring out how much freedom is acceptable and in, and important because we know the science tells us autonomy supportive parenting if there was a gold standard it would be autonomy supportive parenting right and you need to match your child's developmental both development age-wise and just development that is happening for their personal self and their temperament and think, let kids do for themselves what they can already do, which means let me have a look. What does this child, what can they do? What are they capable of? And then guide and encourage them to do things they can almost do. And you model for them the things they can't yet do. And I don't think that changes whether they're toddlers or teenagers. We have to figure out what can they already do that I can sit comfortably with. Mm-hmm. And and that is a hard question. But chances are, if they can do it, then we can focus on our relationship and we can focus on sitting back and enjoying that they've got this and move on to, you know, like you're not going anywhere. You're just widening. What's the metaphor that you use, Lisa, with the pool? 
Oh, the swimming pool that, yeah, the teenagers are like swimmers. They they don't want to, they don't think about the word, the swimmer is the teenager, the water is the world, the parent, the family is the pool that holds it all together. You know, by the time they're adolescents, they, they don't even want to think about those sides of the pool. They want to be in the water until they need us. And then suddenly they come to us. Key, and are right? Coming. Until yeah. they need us. It's not a sea. It's not, there's, there yeah. have to be, yeah. they're, they're, they do come back to us, but yeah. it's just coming to terms with that freedom, making sure that that freedom isn't the extreme of like, I guess that's, that's that go, go, go forth. I mean, they're still, they're still home. They're still with us. They still need a little bit. We just have to have that autonomy support in mind of let them do for themselves what they can already do and enjoy some of it. It's like, actually, I just had my daughter go take my other daughter to a class. And I was like, really nervous about it because she just got her license. But I also, once I got past that was like, wait a minute, (laughs) this is fantastic. Mm. And it feels good for the kid too, right? I mean, I think this is the thing. It feels good for them. It feels good for us. Aliza, here, let me just tell you what I, I, what you have done that I am so grateful for. Instead of telling people how to parent, because we talk about this all the time on this podcast, you can't tell people how to parent, right? There's too many variables that are too specific to any one family. What you have done is you have distilled research going back decades and across very many categories of research into ways to think about how to parent, like how to think about what it is we're here for, what it is we're trying to accomplish. And that is in my world, that's the way to do it, right? Here's what we know. Here's what can inform your thinking. And you can use this to refine, but never perfect this wonderful enterprise of having a family. Oh, that means so much to me. That means so much to me. Also, I love refine, but never perfect. It means so much to me, obviously, because it's you. And I love to you, <laughs> I feel like I know you because I listen to you all the time. Oh, Oh, this was such a joy, Aliza. We are so grateful. And can I just tell you, we, we're going to have to have her back on or do some other session because there's so much here in this book. Like, I, I want to talk to you about sleep as well. And there's a whole thing about friends and siblings. And uh, I just can't say, go get the book. Today is her publishing date and it's out today. It's called The Five Principles of Parenting. Dr. Aliza Pressman, so grateful you could make the time and help us kick off the new year in the right way. Thank you. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.